Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello, today I'm very lucky to be joined by the founder of New York Vocal Coaching, author of the award-winning book Sing Like Never Before, and presenter of the popular YouTube series Voice Lessons to the World, Mr. Justin Stoney. It's a real pleasure to be in your company today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. How's New York? New York is covered in snow. So we had a big downfall last night and it's just a winter wonderland today. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm jealous because we just get the wet rain here. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and we can't cope in snow anyway, us Brits. No, you can't. I didn't know that. We can't. Everything oh. closes down. <laughs> oh, wow. Usually. Okay. Yeah, we're still <laughs> up and running here today in this blizzard. Mainly so we can go and play, I think. That's is what that we it? like to do. Okay, well, in New York, we just work, work, work. That's all we do. <laughs> I, I was particularly excited to to get to talk to you because at the very very beginning of my teaching journey, I discovered your YouTube uh, channel and I felt in real safe hands to learn from you. Um, you've built a real big following and somewhat have built this vocal empire in, in New York vocal coaching. But you have mentioned in, in interviews before how vocal coaching and being a teacher was never something that you planned or even really wanted to do. So I'm really interested in that story, if you don't mind sharing and kind of where that led you. Yeah, absolutely. So being a voice teacher was the last thing that I would ever want to do. I I came to New York right out of college and I was on track to be a performer, an actor, a singer. And back in my hometown in Michigan, folks would sort of say, oh, what do you want to do with this music and singing thing? You know, you could always teach. And I would say, no, 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 you don't you don't understand. To me, those who can't do teach. That's how I felt at the time. And so I, I kind of felt if I can't be a singer, if I can't be an actor, I'll go back to school. I'll get another degree. I don't know. I'll be a a doctor or something like this. But the last thing I would ever want to do is teach is sort of my worst nightmare. But I arrived in New York City in 2005. And I had only been in the city for two weeks. And I was sitting in an audition. And uh, an older gentleman walks into the room, the waiting room, and he says, does anybody here play the piano? And I kind of raised my hand and he says, you come out in the hall. I need to talk to you. He says, how well do you play the piano? I said, pretty well. He says, do you think you can sight read? I said, yes, I can sight read. He says, do you think you're good enough to play an audition? I said, yeah, I think I could. Gets on his cell phone. He says, yeah, I've got some kid here. The kid says he can do it. Okay, we'll take the kid. He says, go back and do your audition, then come down the hall. We need an accompanist now. Our accompanist dropped out at the last second. So I went back in the waiting room and the monitor said to me, you know who that is, right? And I said, no, I don't know who that is. He says, that's Barry Moss. He cast the Cosby show. He cast all these movies. He cast all these Broadway shows. You better be ready. I said, oh my goodness. I finished my audition. I go down the hall 
and I'm playing a Broadway audition, only been in New York for two weeks. I'm the accompanist suddenly for a Broadway audition. Stars are walking in and I'm playing their music for them. Not only this, for some reason, they had to learn music from the show that they weren't given that day. And I'm teaching Broadway stars their music right on the fly. At the end of the audition day, I said to the casting director, I said, don't pay me. Take two headshots and call me if I'm right for something. And he laughs and he says, no, no, I'm going to pay you. And, and I will call you if you're right for something. But I want to tell you, I saw something in you today. I saw a great vocal coach. I think that you need to be a vocal coach. And I thought to myself, a vocal coach? No, this is exactly what I said I would never, ever do. I had my bartending license. I was going to tend bar and act and sing. But when one of the greatest casting directors in New York City tells you, you have what it takes to be a great vocal coach, you listen. And so that is how I got started. I, I had this sort of miraculous circumstance thrust me into trying this. And the story goes on from there. But essentially, I fell in love with what I was doing and realized that it was actually my calling uh, to do what I do. Mm, what a story. I love it. It's a New York true tale. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's how it happened. Yeah. So after that, that experience and after thinking about it and thinking, no, I didn't want to do that. How did you then go about setting yourself up? as a vocal coach? Yeah, well, at that time, I was sort of just in shock that I was actually going to try this. Um, you know, it was so opposed to anything that I ever thought that I would do. But I, I just decided, okay, I'll try it. And I, I printed off some little flyers from my printer. They weren't very fancy at all. And uh, it, it just said, I think, affordable accompanist vocal coach, and it was, you know, $25 an hour. And I would put these little cards at the different audition studios and, um, you know, didn't know what would come of it. But I started getting calls and people started to come. It was just out of my apartment. And I'm still in my apartment to this day. We have our company in Midtown, but I still teach in the same apartment that I did in 2005. And folks came and they would rehearse their music and I could play and I could give them sort of musical tips and things like that. But my background as a singer, I just sort of, people would ask me, well, how do I hit this high note? Or how do I sing this more freely? Or how do I achieve this? And I just kind of had an instinct for it, just sort of a knack for it. And I also really, really enjoyed doing it. And so I was doing that and I was performing at the same time. I was going back and forth for about three, four years until I eventually realized I love what I'm doing in the teaching side of things abundantly more than what I'm doing in the performing. I never lost the love of performing, but I just fell utterly in love with the teaching that eventually I said, I've got to pour my whole heart and soul into this. Mm -hmm. And where did you start with your pedagogical kind of exploration in, in terms of understanding the technical side of things and the science and, and, and that sort of journey. How did that go for you? Well, I always like to say that the best teachers are just the best students. 
And my only claim to fame is I've always been a really, really good voice student. You know, back as a teenager taking my weekly voice lesson, that was the highlight of my week. I put everything into that and in practice and prep. And I always would ask questions and want to know why, never thinking I'd ever be a voice teacher, but I just, with every voice teacher I ever had, I loved it. I cherished it. I cherished being a voice student. And I would always ask all the technical questions. Why, why, do, why am I doing this? What do I have to do? Why do I have to do it? And so I, I always kind of had that student mind years before thinking I would ever use this in a teaching kind of capacity. Um, so that was a great foundation. And I had training in opera. I had training in theater. I had training in pop. So I physically sort of knew the mechanism from a student's perspective. And I, I keep that student mind to this day. But once I realized it's my calling to teach voice, then it was a game changer. Then I sought out every book I could read, every teacher who knew, every sort of course that I could find. And, you know, I just poured myself into that. And that process doesn't stop, you know, to this day. You're never going to catch me without, you know, a vocal book. And you have to keep in that student mind uh, and, and constantly be growing your craft as a teacher. So um, that's kind of how I, you know, started with that. Mm. And there'll be some students who maybe don't ask the whys because maybe they don't want to know or it's it's something they want to move on to something else. Do you encourage students and singers to find out the why? Do you think that makes them a better singer or do you think that they don't really need to know the science? What's your opinion there? I don't think that every singer does need to know the science. Um, for some, it's very helpful. It's the way they think, it's the way they learn. But part of the challenge and the joy of being a teacher is working with many different learning styles and trying to almost like a key unlocking a door, figure out what is going to resonate with this learner. And so some people work better with physical things, with games, with uh, you know, visual cues, with imagery, um, with just simply trying, trying, repetition, you know, fall down, trial and error, things like that. Uh, and then there are definitely folks that are technically minded. I mean, I think we always encourage a technical approach so that they have that. But if it doesn't resonate as well, if there's another approach that works better, I think it's more advantageous to adapt our ways to the individual mm -hmm. rather than sort of, you know, force them to learn in a way that's not as intuitive. So I, I think it, it really depends on the person. Mm. And it makes our job pretty fun as well. Yeah. If you think, okay, right, this next person, we're going to get nice and gritty into the, into the details, but I know the next person I'm going to play a ball game. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's right. It's, that's the fun of it. It really is every hour of every day different and special and and ultimately a, a you know a gift and that is a great explanation of why many years ago i fell so in love with teaching i realized that with performing nothing against it but the percentages of time that i could know i was making a difference in somebody's life with my art and craft was a fairly small percentage. 
but the percentage of time I can make a difference in somebody's life with my craft in teaching is virtually a hundred percent. And I, I went into the arts initially to inspire, to give, to try to make a difference. And I just found with teaching, it, it sort of always happens. And, and that was, that was the love. You said there that you're, you're never without a vocal book or a vocal text. Um, was there or is there a specific text or, or teacher that was a game changer for you that kind of unlocked something immediately? Yeah, there's a few. Um, first of all, a few of my mentors that need recognition would be David Jones, who's a classical uh, an opera voice teacher here in New York City. He did a lot for me, mentoring me as a young teacher and believing in me and, and seeing that, that love and that spark the same way the casting director did. I mean, I was just, you know, 23. And to have an older voice teacher say, I see a teacher in you is so special. And not just that encouragement, but also, you know, giving me a real foundation as far as feeling confident teaching in the classical arena. And then I met Aaron Hagen, who's also a New York voice teacher and has worked with many pop celebrities and things like that. But he just knows the technique inside and out, sort of virtuosic knowledge, both in being able to do it, to, to demonstrate it, to know what's happening, know the science. And, and he really also knows the classical world as well. When I saw two giants that didn't know each other, that teach different styles at the end of the day, have a technique that goes hand in hand, that's scientifically based, that, that is informed, and that gets great results. Those two, it sort of was a one-two punch, you know, with classical and pop rock merging together, two mentors um, really young in my life. That, those guys, you know, were game changers for me. As far as books you know, my all-time favorite is still Scott McCoy, um, Your Voice and Inside View. I just love the way uh, Dr. McCoy thinks. Um, I, I love the categorical thinking. It's the way my mind works. I think, okay, if I'm talking about breathing, I want to know what every single muscle that exists looks like. So I can be like, is it this? Is it this? Is it not this? Is it not this? Here's, here are the, all of them. Here's what they do. And here's how they function. I want to think about the larynx. Here's all the muscles. Here's all the function. You know, I just love his, and that's not his only approach, but it's part of it. And I got so much out of that book. And of course, Sunberg and Tietze, and there's many others that have been a great inspiration. But if I had to choose just one, uh, it's, it's Scott McCoy's Your Voice and Inside View. And of course, now we can add your book to the list. Hey, yeah. Uh, Sing Like Never Before. Uh, this book took me seven years just about to write. Um, and, you know, I guess my only complaint with certain vocal books uh, is that they are often so dense and so difficult, and it often feels unnecessarily difficult to read. And passionate voice teachers like you and I I'm sure read these books sometimes and just think, I don't know if I can go on, yeah. you know, but, but yet you couldn't think of somebody else that would desire to read this text more than you. Mm -hmm. So then I'm thinking of the folks that just wanted to have an entertaining 
and practical experience reading a vocal pedagogy book. And I said, <clears throat> if I could design a, a book that is colorful, that's fun, that's entertaining, that doesn't spare the pedagogy, you really get it, but you get it in a bite-sized way and a practical and fun way, you know, what would that book look like? And that's, that's Sing Like Never Before. That's the reason I wrote it. And you've got some lovely illustrators as well, haven't you? Well, yes, we, uh, Mark Pate did the illustrations. Every page of the book is, looks like a cartoon. Um, and that's, of course, on purpose. It, it's supposed to be so colorful and entertaining from cover to cover that really a child could pick it up and say, wow, look at this fun artwork. I like to look through the pictures and all the way to an advanced pedagogue, pedagogue could, could read it and say, oh, wow, this is really giving me the information that I wanted to have. So, and, and hopefully everybody uh, in between. Mm. And I feel like that description there, the kind of colorful, fun, bite-sized, um, but detailed content really reflects that of your, of your YouTube series. Mm -hmm. um, it is made up of lots of really humorous, eloquent, understandable, coherent teachings on different vocal topics. And you've got about 380,000 subscribers now about? Yeah, last I checked, it was around there. Yeah. Mm. yeah. How did you go about setting that up? What did it feel like to do that first video? Well, you know, I had had such success in New York that I kind of felt like, how do I give back? How do I give to the folks that live in maybe countries where they don't have access to this or folks that, um, you know, can't afford voice lessons? And, and moreover, this is 10 years ago now, by the way, Voice Lessons to the World is about to reach its 10-year anniversary. But it was 10 years ago and I was sitting there thinking, you know, how, how do I give back for this success? And, and, and moreover, people were bringing me videos that they were finding, and it was often some very uh, misleading content as well. And I thought, you know, is there a way that I can contribute positively? And it, it, it came to me like in a lightning flash, like in a, it was in the middle of a teaching session, and I, I just stopped the session for a moment. I said, could you just give me one moment? And I just, the whole idea came to me and I wrote it down and we resumed the session. And I just thought if I could create something that even helped one person, then I would be doing my part to give back. I never thought, oh, this is going to, you know, have hundreds of thousands of viewers or anything like that. I just thought I've got to do something to give back to the vocal community in a way that's free, in a way that's helpful, in a way that inspires folks. And that was, that was my idea. And I just, I guess I just never stopped. Mm. And yeah. did you approach that with, with a particular kind of audience or personality in mind? Because it's, as we said, it's very humorous and a lot of people do, do engage with it. Did you adapt it as you went along or did you know that you were always being authentic and true to your yourself and, and your own character? Yeah, well, I was trying to, since it, since the heart of it is to give back, mm -hmm. I was trying to say, well, I, I, you know, I can't give 
free voice lessons. You know, we, we have, I have my teaching studio. I have Midtown office. We've got a staff. I can't, I can't, you know, teach session after session for free, but I can give back free lessons in this way. And so I wanted it to feel like having a lesson with me. And I still try to, I still try to do that. So the, there is no real audience in mind with it. I'm not trying to think of like, what would the viewer like? Um, other than the fact that we take people's questions, mm-hmm. we, we take people's questions and we say, oh, I think I can answer that question for you. And then I design it as though it's a lesson with me, which is kind of why I like interact with the camera and try to literally see that imaginary student in the camera lens and pretend as though this is a lesson with me right now. Mm. So, I mean, it's, that's, that's what it is. It's just a, a Justin lesson on camera. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I guess that's quite um, that different approach. Cause I, I, with, with a lot of the time as vocal coaches, we're looking for ways to market ourselves or put ourselves out there and, and doing the content for, for free is a great way of engaging with people. But I guess there was that humanitarian element to it for you in terms of there wasn't any real other purpose other than giving back to society and providing for people who may not have the opportunity to meet somebody like you and have, have the benefit of your knowledge. Yeah, that is definitely, um, I, I think a difference. Um, I, it's funny because a lot of times people have things in reverse with with when they they've never heard of me before or something and they say you know let me let me look at Justin's teaching career they they say they look at say the you know three hundred thousand subscribers and they say oh you know it's YouTube that's why Justin is successful he did this YouTube thing and then he had a you know big vocal studio when actually it's the exact reverse. I had a big vocal studio in New York. And because of that, I said, let me give back and do YouTube. And it's, it's, it's just, I think, important to say this. If I took away my New York studio and just got, took what I've sort of gotten back from YouTube, we would frankly go out of business. It's not enough it's not, see, it's never been a marketing thing. It's never been a business thing. Like it's not enough that, that like wing of what I do, it's not enough for, for business. And it's not intended for business. It's intended as a way to give back. And I wonder if that can be an encouragement for other voice teachers and vocal coaches, because I think there's gotta be a lot of burnout from trying to do content, content, content in order to get the only reason I've been able to do content, content, content for 10 years and not burn out doing it is because I have to remind myself every time I do it, this is to give. This is purely to give back. You, you don't care if even one person likes it or follows it or says something about it. You just do it to give. And, it, it, and I try to keep that heart from episode one of Voice Lessons to the World. If even just one person get something out of this. I've done my job here. Yeah. That's that's the heart. And I'm definitely one person. 
So Good. you have got it there in abundance. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> and also, of course, you've you've earned um, the title of Leonardo DiCaprio's doppelganger throughout. Yes. Congratulations. It's, this has been going on actually since long before the Voice Lessons show. I remember I would play Jack in Into the Woods uh, in high school. I was um, 16 years old. And in the dressing room, uh, the, the, the ladies had found a cover of DiCaprio. And this is when he was in Titanic, you know, and he had the hair. And they, they cut out the cover of the magazine and they wrote on the front, Justin Stoney, and they... <laughs> posted it in in the dressing room and uh you know that was when that whole joke started way back then so oh that's quite awesome then that it kind of translated into and you were like i must look like him then <laughs> yeah 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 totally um i i've never met leo but apparently what happened i, I had an acting role when i was uh still still an actor and it was at the irish rep theater in New York and the cast, uh, sorry, the director knew Leo really well. Um, they were friends. And, and she said, you've got to come see this young guy. He looks exactly like you, you got to come see him. He was like, all right, all right, I guess I'll swing by. And apparently he came in a bike helmet and I saw him just briefly in a, but he came in a bike helmet and sat in the back row for about five minutes of the play uh, just to see this guy that looked like him. So that's my only encounter with Leo is sort of like vaguely in the shadows, seeing this tall guy in a bike helmet come in. And then later they said that was Leo. He came. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, yeah. I love that my, story. That's my story. Yeah. Uh, so on your path to, to, to vocal pedagogy kind of kingdom, um, how do you think that, that has influenced your voice now if you had all this knowledge when you were an active performer do you think that you would have been a different singer i do i this is going to sound weird maybe wrong i gave up calling myself a singer a while back and and people might be thinking what but, but it's true. I don't look at myself as a singer anymore. I look at myself as something of a vocal explorer where I don't ask myself, will I be able to sing a concert of this? Mm. You know, will I be able to perform an audition? I think of what sounds do my students need to make mm. and how can I make as many of these sounds as I possibly can as healthfully and as authentically uh, as I can. And so I guess it's a tough question to answer because I don't really know how that would translate over to my former mm. performing life because it, it, it doesn't feel quite like prepping to be a performing singer. Mm. It feels like continuing to prep to be the best demonstrator of sound that I can be. So I, I think certain things would cross over, but it, it almost feels like a totally different gig, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever sing for yourself anymore? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that's why maybe the analogy breaks down. Like I, I still have a great time and, and I, I sing lots of things, but, um, but the focus is different. Hmm. I, 
I may I might sing a particular piece of repertoire because I want to know what it feels like when I have, say, you know, a, a teenage R&B singer who's trying to sing this new R&B song right on the money. And, and I want to have that experience mm-hmm. of what it feels like. Now, that might not be a song that I would ever take into public or, or something like that, but I want to have the experience that they're having when they sing the song. So, it, you know, I, I really enjoy that process, um, but the, the goal is so different that it's hard to say how it would cross over. Mm. Mm. And, and speaking of that, in, in your um, kind of public videos, you do demonstrate quite different styles. I mean, you've, you've given us some treats with Gethsemane and your um, Elvis Presley and your Adele and, you know, across a lot of genres. <laughs> so you, you can demonstrate quite great vocal versatility. Mm-hmm. How do you go about helping your singers be able to do that, especially, I guess, for musical theatre where they might need to dip in and out of quite different vocal demands, um, but also for your coaches who you work with and how they can demonstrate it to their mm-hmm. students? Well, I think the key to this is the ability to separate components and have great mastery over individual components. For example, if one can move the larynx, you know, up and down and all around, it just moved the larynx. Wow, what a skill. If one can compress and you know, decompress the vocal folds in various ways and not change anything else, but just the folds, right? If one can move the tongue, just the tongue, the lips, just the lips, the soft palate, just the soft palate, right? Things like this. If, if they become very skilled at control with each individual component, then when we go into the art of mimicking different sounds, we are so much more highly skilled. Because often in singing, I like to say that, you know, poor technique is often when we tried to do one thing and five or 10 things happened by accident. We just meant the one, but all of these other things came into play. Whereas excellent technique is we meant the one thing, we tried the one thing and the one thing happened. So if you get good at isolating just the one, it's not only wonderful technique, but it helps you when you hear a certain sound or a certain style or what an artist is doing. And you say, ah, they're just doing that one thing or these two things, or these three things, again, with larynx, tongue, jaw, lips, soft palate, chords, etc. And since I hear that they're doing those things, I have in control with my instrument to the ability to do those specific things. So it really comes back to, can I break down these components? Can I isolate them and control them in my voice? And then when I hear another artist, can I execute those specific things? And if you can do that, you can sing anything you want. Love it. And is there something, is there one specific thing that you actually really enjoy teaching when that one thing comes in and you're like, ah, it's this and I love it. Is there one thing for you? I do, you, you know, I would love to answer technically, but I think I have to answer more spiritually on that one. Um, because, you know, any of the technical components have the 
capacity to thrill me on any particular day. But the thing that drives me and the thing that is the most satisfying is to see the connection of the inner journey to the vocal journey. And that is something that I realized even at a very young age, taking voice lessons when I said to you earlier, the weekly voice lesson was cherished. I just could not wait. I realized as a teenager that as I practiced my voice and, and I worked hard at that, suddenly all of these new confidences and self-expression and joy was coming, flowing out of me inexplicably. Mm. And also as I worked on my character and my self-development, suddenly I could do things with my voice, sometimes even without practicing. There's this almost undeniable connection of the inner journey and the vocal journey. And I was always so fascinated by that as a student. And to this day, that is what makes me a teacher is I just can't wait for the next lesson where we see the next chapter of this person's link to what's going on on their inner journey and what's going on in their vocal journey. And to see them practice their voice and open those doors inside, incredible. Mm -hmm. To see them make a development in their personal life and then suddenly they can build that high note. <laughs> it's that, that connection is the most thrilling thing for me. Mm. And and you you gave a really great talk at the the vocology and practice um, conference last year um, about sticky situations which we all find ourselves in um, in the in the vocal studio sometimes in the in the business end of things I guess um, and you mentioned there about practice and I guess practice is maybe one thing that us teachers maybe find quite difficult to encourage or get our students to engage with. So how, how do you go about encouraging that practice and also being realistic with students in a way that is helpful, even though inside you might be like <laughs> wagging your finger and being like, hey, dude, <laughs> you need to do something here. Yeah, well, you know, my core philosophy is always to teach to the individual and to adapt what I do to the person. So instead of saying, here is my method, please learn to do it this way, I alter what I do for each individual and create a method for them. It might surprise folks to learn, <clears throat> I don't care if people practice. <laughs> and that's like, wait, what? And, and, and the, the truth is, there are some people who will come to their voice lesson, you know, every week or every two weeks. And that's a special and sacred time where they get to sing and they get to let it out. But they're, they're a mom, they're a, a dad, they're a busy, busy career person. And for them, just having a place to go and sing is exactly what they need. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say, oh, well, they don't practice. So, you know, they're out. You know, so that's, that's an extreme, but I'm just giving an example of, of a case where I'm not going to tell them, hey, you're not practicing. What's the problem here? Mm. On the flip side, you know, I might have a top professional or somebody that wants to be a top professional come. And in that case, we have to look at what are your expectations for your voice and your career. And if you want this goal and that goal and that goal, 
we're going to have to put together a very regimented routine if you want to get there. So that's on the other extreme of things. I try to be really real and honest and upfront about, you know, if you want this, it will require that. Then you have folks that are in between that want to be good, but they don't necessarily have to have a career. Then what we have to do is kind of look at what incentivizes them, what will make them practice. Is it, are they not practicing because they are sort of, they don't know how to get started and they feel like, oh, I can't practice for an hour a day. That's too overwhelming. Then can we set an achievable goal? All you have to do is practice 10 minutes a couple times a week, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe there's something about the practice that, that really thrills them. They love the song work, but not yet the technique. Mm -hmm. We can say, hey, just practice your favorite song this week. And then we're going to add next week the song plus, you know, 10 minutes of technique, really getting to understand what's going to incentivize and motivate them. Mm -hmm. So again, it's all about knowing your individuals and changing your teaching, but also changing your approach to practice based on what's going to motivate that person. Yeah, I would never, this is maybe um, nice to highlight. I, I would never want any of my students to feel guilty for not practicing. That's something that I, I don't think any of my students walk away thinking, you know, Justin is going to be disappointed in me if I don't practice. However, where maybe the tough love comes from is if, if you want something, if you have a certain expectation, again, I will tell you what is the practice level that is required to get to that expectation. But it's, it's not sort of, will you please me or will you make me displeased? So the student's not going to feel like, you know, I, I've broken Justin's heart, but they are going to know, hey, if I want this, I'm going to have to do that. And if I don't want that, that's okay too. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So what is on the cards for, for you and New York Vocal Coaching this year? Have you got any, anything um, in the pipeline or something that, you're, that you, you've got on the cards that you really want to achieve or you're delving into at all that we can kind of know about? Yeah, I mean, I think we've got a few cool things. Um, there's the David Phelps series that we've just begun. I got the great honor of spending a day with David Phelps and we, <laughs> we shot all day long and he, he gives his greatest vocal tips and wisdom. And we released one episode of that and <laughs> there's like 10 more. It's just scratching the surface of what David has to offer. And I don't know if folks really knew that when they saw part one, they thought, well, when's part two coming out? But there's many parts. David was so generous. So um, look forward, I think, to learning from David Phelps this year because we've got a lot more with him. I've also got uh, a sort of secret new show uh, coming out this year because we've got different content that we do. We've got the Voice Lessons to the World, which is sort of um, long and thorough vocal information. I do the quick singing tips, which is a little more fun and bite-sized. We do our voice lessons online series, which is a, a, an analysis and breakdown of really wonderful artists and how they do what they do. And then our employee, Brendan, 
does a voice breakdown where he talks about um, how to do different character voices like Mickey Mouse and things like that. Um, but this, I have a new one coming out is what I'm saying. Brand new uh, idea, something I've wanted to do for many, many years that I think is going to be uh, really helpful for singers and voice teachers. So it, it, it's a secret for now, but it's going to you know, start sometime this year. And I think uh, people will like that. Um, but other than that, you know, just continuing the mission of helping singers, helping voice teachers um, is, is my focus. Um, it's, it, 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 it's for me all day, every day. Um, it's my passion. It's my commitment. And, you know, I just, uh, I keep going. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a real treat to chat to you. Um, so thank you for sharing your experiences and your insight. It's really inspiring. Um, so where can people find you and um, kind of get to know your products and um, get your book and uh, look into your studio and courses and things? Oh, sure. Well, um, NewYorkVocalCoaching.com is our you know, home. Um, so for lessons and things like that, that's where you find us, New York Vocal Coaching. Uh, I train voice teachers. So voiceteachertraining.com is for folks looking for uh, mentorship and training in the world of teaching voice. Voicelessonstotheworld.com is the show that we've talked about today a bit. Uh, and singlikeneverbefore.com is where you can find my book and also Amazon. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. I wish you all the very best for this year and we'll absolutely be keeping our eyes peeled for the new show. Thank you, Alexa. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking to expand your vocal knowledge and add to your teacher toolbox? Then you're in the right place. BAST are here to guide you with our membership, a growing virtual library packed with educational videos spanning a whole host of voice teacher topics. It's just £1 for the first two weeks and £6 each month after that. Now that's what I call a bargain. To join, just head to our website www.basttraining.com.